Hey, welcome back to Crimes in Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Happy Monday. Happy Serial Killer Monday. Happy Serial Killer Monday, y'all. Ridiculous. Up in here. Up in here. It's going to be a good <laughs> month. It's going to be a good month. I don't it hate is. it. This, I say this, I think, at some point. I don't hate it as much. I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Hope same. everyone is like dealing well with this. If you're on the East Coast and the South, we have had the hurricane. I can't remember her name. Idalia. Idalia. Mm-hmm. And my kids did not have school today, so and it is sorry. 80 degrees and sunny. Yeah, I was gonna say it's so ridiculous that they did that because they might need this day for another like actually more serious event. <laughs> it's true, yeah. But I think so. It, counties do what counties yeah. do, you know. And then it's just is what it is. And there's a bunch of moms sending out group texts like "WTH is going mm-hmm. on here? There's not a hurricane, although it did hail last night." Right. Yeah, we did get. I mean, some you hail. never know when it's gonna switch course or you something's gonna know. happen. So. But yeah, you know what um, Kelly brought up to me yesterday? Because she she lived through it yesterday. She's fine. Right. And Pete right. got like slammed with water a lot. But um, anyway, she said it's all the I name storms. Oh, Ian. like Ian. Yeah. I can't remember. Now. Ivan was a really Ivan. big one one time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's been other ones that have been huge. But like she's like, lately it's been the I one. She's like, I'm afraid of the I one. You know the hurricane that sticks out most in my mind is Matthew. Do you know why? No. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to, do you have time to hear the story? Sure. I mean, you know it. I'm just going to remind you. Back in the day, picture it. 2015. Christy was living in here in where I live in here. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. We played, but we started you, mm-hmm. but then also me because I was your best friend. Started doing a neighborhood bunko mm-hmm. monthly game. Mm-hmm. which I continued on after your departure, by the yes. way, like yes. a boss. And it was the first night of it was mm-hmm. during Hurricane Matthew. And we were like, your power's going to go out. <laughs> like we were literally playing Bunko yeah. during a hurricane and people had to walk home. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But in Bunko, there's like a prize that you can get if you – I forget how you get it even. Three of a kind uh, or – yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. There's a there's yeah. something that you can roll. If you don't know mm-hmm. what Bunko is, it's a dice game. There's something you roll, and when you get it, you get like a physical like pri- like thing, and it gets mm-hmm. passed around. So you have to holler out a word when you get that roll, mm-hmm. and then you get the object and whoever has the object at the end of the game wins like 10 bucks or wins their money back is what Mm -hmm. it is and so we had to figure out a word to say so that people would know to like throw it around the room Mm -hmm. and our word was matthew right because it was during hurricane matthew Mm -hmm. and it remained matthew (laughs) yes i do remember now that you're saying it that's all coming back to me and like it being like, oh, my, we took a big picture, a group picture after we at did. The end, we were like, oh my gosh, we had our first bunko during Hurricane Matthew. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was so yeah. fun. Anyway, so I just have, I always think when I hear a hurricane, I always think of Hurricane Matthew and playing bunko with you and the ladies mm. in the neighborhood, like the OG ladies, and going, Matthew, 
Somebody give yes. me the thing. <laughs> so fun. I love so Bunko. Fun. I think Bunko is so fun. It gets me a lot to like plan, you know, month after month after month after month for yeah. a period of time, but it's definitely, it's fun. It's a fun game. So anyway. If any of my neighbor ladies are listening, we should bring it back. Yeah. Bring it back. Bring it back. Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Well, fun. I'm glad you brought that up because that is a fun little memory. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another story for you, but I do not want to make this intro like ridiculously long. So maybe we'll just save it for another intro. Okay. Um, but I do have something interesting to tell you anyway. So I will tell you this little fun fact. So I was watching, if there's a new Netflix series out there, it came 99% match and another person suggested it. So I was like, well, Netflix and my friends know me. So I might as well watch it. Okay. So it's called The Night Agent. All right. It's suspenseful. It's very good. I'm enjoying it. I like it a lot. And the one of the first episodes, it may be the first one, it may be the second one, but I'm pretty sure it was the first one. He's in the FBI slash works for the White House as well. And he's like in charge of sitting by this phone in case like a secret agent needs them. And so like he sits there all night just waiting and that phone like hardly ever rings. But if they do. That's his only job. Yes. Okay. And so, well, no, but. I don't want to give away too much. But anyway, so if they do, he's got this notebook that says like, oh, here's the code words. This is what you need to ask, blah, 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 to make sure that it's a real person. So anyway, this person calls him and she's in a house that she's not familiar with because she ran away from hers and this person's after her. And he was like, okay, go upstairs. He's like, is there a basement first? She's like, I have no idea. She's like, well, there are stairs. So go upstairs, go upstairs. She runs upstairs. He's like, is there a bathroom? She's like, yes. And he goes, does the door lock from the inside? She was like, yes. He goes, great. Lock the door. Don't go in and close it. So it was like a decoy. Oh, yeah. That's smart. And then go in a closet, for like furthest away from that room, go in a closet. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. Yeah. So when he's trying to break the door down, she can escape. She didn't. But- Oh, yes. She could have tried to do that. But yeah, like he did. He spent extra time. Like for him, it was the police were on their way and he was trying to give, like deter him for a certain amount of time so that he didn't find her before the police got there, which is what happened. But I was like, that is genius. We all need to remember that. If you have a door that locks on the inside, I guess it could be a bedroom or a bathroom door, whatever. Go lock it, close it, and then go the furthest away from that door and hide. Right. That's where they're going to think you are. Really smart. Here, oh, here. Right. If we're true crime mamas up in here. Just thank you. Out. Yes. <laughs> Great advice. I like that. If you ever find yourself. Yeah. In a terrible situation like we that. I hope you don't. <laughs> of course. Yes. But yeah. It could mean somebody's life. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. Fun Thanks fact for, for today. info. That is a fun um, fact. And. Welcome, Wanda, to the Patreon. Yes, we have a new patron who just so happens to be my girl, Wanda, who I was really surprised when I saw her little name Mm. pop up. And so I love you, girl. Yes. Thanks for joining our closet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's so much fun happening over there with the survivors this month. Yeah. So let's get into it. Here we go. Serial killer number one.
Okay. We are here for the first episode of Serial Killer September. Kicking it off. Whoa. A bang, literally. <laughs> oh, yeah? I just sounded like Moira Rose. <laughs> literally. Oh, yeah. Is bad? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this serial killer was suggested by our listener, Kaylee. So um, for this case, we are going to be spending most of our time in Michigan. Which, what? My case next week is Kaylee, too. Is the same one? Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Kaylee B? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and look. Oh, and yeah, you will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to be in Michigan, and we are actually going to be in the Upper Peninsula area of Michigan, which is called uh, the UP. Okay. The This is northern Michigan, obviously, um, right near the Canadian border. I do have a connection to the Upper Peninsula that I wanted to just throw in there because it's very interesting. Okay. So in order to get to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, you have to cross over the Mackinac Bridge which is like a beautiful, large suspension bridge that like held records for a while Mm -hmm. as being like one of the biggest bridges of its kind. And my grandfather, my mom's mom, helped build that bridge. Your mom's dad? I mean, my mom's dad. Yes. He helped build that bridge. That's awesome. He was like a supervising engineer or something on that bridge. And so my grandmother was the first woman to ever drive across it. Isn't that neat? Oh, how cool. Cool, right? Yeah. So a little fun fact about my fam. So the UP is very desolate. It's very rural, very cold. And so is our here serial killer. She's real cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so her name is Kelly Cochran, also known as the Devil Woman of Michigan. I have literally never heard of this lady before. Okay. I had not either. Okay. Actually. So this is a trip. She, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a real interesting, um, the whole thing is interesting. So Kelly was born in 1982 to parents Timothy and Melanie Gaboyan in the town of Maryville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Maryville is on the border of Indiana and Illinois, and it's actually considered to be in the Chicago metro area. Mm. Kelly was the oldest of four children. The family grew up in a nice home on some land, and they raised animals. Perfectly normal upbringing. There was no abuse, no substance abuse issues that we are aware of. is very unusual when it comes to serial killers. (laughs) That's right. Well, female serial killers in general are just very unusual. And anyway, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But as a child, Kelly was described as independent, outgoing, and very intelligent. Mm-hmm. However, she did not channel those qualities for good. Instead, she used her outgoing and intelligent personality to get in trouble. Okay. So she was not a rule follower. She would just do, she literally would do whatever she wanted. She did not care about consequences of her actions. She did not care if she was harming or hurting someone in any way. She would steal from people, from stores. She got involved in drugs at a very young age, drinking. She would skip school really often. 
She ran away several times as a teenager and eventually because her parents just could not get her to like on a good path. She was just getting in so much trouble. She was actually sent to a girl's home, mm-hmm. which I read she got kicked out of. What? How do you but get I don't kicked know out of that? <laughs> Beats me. But despite all of these behavioral issues, she was very likable. She was very friendly. She was kind of popular, actually. And she somehow was able to do really well academically. And she graduated with honors when she graduated high school, which is crazy because she never went. Right. So it just makes you think, like, had she applied herself and, like, used her good qualities for positive, what could she have done? Right. on the other end of the spectrum. So I'm sorry. What year did you say this was in? Well, she was born in 1982. Okay. Sorry. I just, yeah, she's our age. Okay. Essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, later high school years, Kelly started dating a boy who lived next door to her. So she dated the boy next door. His Mm -hmm. name was Jason Cochran. He was four years older than Kelly. So Jason, he was kind of the opposite of her. He was quiet. He was well, you know, reserved. He was well liked, but he was kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. So like super friendly, but just a little bit awkward. So the two of them were kind of polar opposites and they were a perfect match for each other. And and they both went to Purdue University after graduation. So it seemed Mm -hmm. like Kelly was like, okay, maybe I'm going to get my life together. Mm -hmm. Go to college and date this nice boy next door, you know, whatever. Right. Cause like, I mean, doing what she did. Yeah. She was a troublemaker, but didn't mean that her life was going to go down a terrible path. She was a teenager. Like you could, teenagers can turn their, themselves around when they mature a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When their brain fully develops. Right. Well, that's not what happened, but. In well, September, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in September of 2002, when Kelly was 20, she and Jason got married. Again, they were both attending Purdue University. Kelly actually graduated with a degree in psychology and sociology and minored in forensics and Spanish. Lord have mercy. This is a terrible combination. I know. But smart cookie, this this chick. No, I know, but probably all the things that allowed her to do the things that she goes on to do. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. So Kelly and Jason, after they both graduated from school, they actually opened up their own pool company. Mm-hmm. So they would maintain and clean swimming pools. Okay. Kelly would do the back end of stuff. Jason actually did the cleanings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it sounds like she's just living a very traditional life mm-hmm. from the outside, but she was not. She was still up to her schemes. She would scam people out of money. She continued to steal. She actually opened up a nonprofit called Unconditional Love and Hope and used it to steal money. What was what did people think the money was going to? I couldn't to? find it and I didn't oh. it didn't say anywhere, but gross. Mm -hmm. She frequently abused prescription medication and party drugs like GHB, heroin, cocaine, hard Mm. drugs. And was she using basically the company to scam people out of money? I think so too. Yes. I think that also was part of her um, 
I think she just was a big old fat liar, like across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. So as time went on, Jason, her husband, began having some health concerns. He actually suffered from kidney cancer, which left him disabled and unable to walk for about 18 months. Oh, wow. It also left him impotent and unable to perform sexually. So Mm -hmm. this obviously affected their marriage. His treatment was also very expensive. And so the couple was in a lot of medical debt because of that. Then in 2011, Jason suffered from a back injury while he was like working on someone's pool. And this left him in like extreme pain. And ultimately he became disabled as a result. Okay. So because of all of these issues, he also began having some mental health issues and was struggling from depression and anxiety. Okay. So they had to give up their pool business and Kelly had to find work. She became the sole provider and then she also had to work to pay off all these medical bills and debts from Jason's issues. So she was working odd jobs. She still continued to steal money, scam people, and she spent a lot of money on drugs as well. So she had a bad habit of just not showing up places like school, you know, for instance, she just would not go. Well, this happened when she was working as well. And so she got fired like multiple from multiple jobs because she just was like, I'm not going to come today. So yeah, well, poor attendance. She just Mm -hmm. did what she wanted. I'm telling you, she was just running around, stealing stuff, doing drugs, whatever she wanted. Mm -hmm. By 2013, Kelly and Jason were in a very bad spot financially and also legally as well, because Kelly was a con artist and folks were starting to catch on a little bit, like Mm -hmm. that she was untrustworthy and that she stole stuff. So they decided that they were going to move out of the state to hopefully get away from all their problems and have like a fresh start. Another way of wording that is they were running. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, uh uh-oh, we better go hide. Right, right. So in January of 2014, Kelly and Jason fled Indiana and moved 400 miles away to Caspian, Michigan on the Upper Peninsula. So they chose Michigan because marijuana was legal there at the time, and it was one of the only places it was, and Jason grew it and used it, like, regularly for his pain. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to be able to do it legally, so that's why they picked Michigan. They chose the Upper Peninsula because it was in the middle of nowhere, and they thought nobody would find them there. Right. Yeah, well, that makes sense. (laughs) So they moved into an old brown house that they planned to remodel themselves. Kelly and Jason actually very quickly became extremely well-liked. They made friends with their neighbors and they would often like smoke pot with them or drink or party. Kelly was, again, extremely outgoing and she actually was known to mow the yards of some of the older people that lived nearby just to be nice. Oh, that is nice. Great neighbor, right? Yeah. Kelly worked several odd jobs, but she kept getting fired because of the poor attendance. She was a server at a restaurant. She worked at a hardware store, but she wasn't really in any place for long. Mm-hmm. Like as in weeks, honestly. <laughs> um, a couple months after their move to Michigan, Kelly got a job at a factory called the Oldenburg Group. So Oldenburg's is a global like metal supplier and they do like military defense products and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So Kelly worked there doing like electrical wiring assembly. Okay. At some point during their marriage, Kelly decided, and I say at some point, I don't know if this happened when they were in Michigan or before, if it was happening before. Mm-hmm. I think it was happening before, but they say it was not. It did not happen until Michigan. Okay. She decided that she was bored. She was bored about being married. She said that Jason, she was tired of him. He didn't work. He had all these issues and this debt and he wasn't able to like perform in the bedroom. So Kelly basically told Jason that she was going to get hers somewhere else. And then if he didn't like it, he could leave. Okay. So the in sickness and health and all that kind of stuff doesn't apply. Well, apparently not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, she's just doing whatever she wants here. Mm -hmm. And obviously Jason did not like that for a multitude of reasons, but he decided to stick it out with Kelly and stay with her and just let her do her thing. I mean, I don't agree with what she's doing or did, but I mean, at least she was honest about it, I guess. I guess. She, Mm. I guess. So she sure did do her thing. Um, She began having multiple affairs with both men and women. Jason was aware of this and what was going on and he didn't like it, but he didn't want to divorce Kelly either. Mm Mm-hmm. I I think this probably had to do with the fact that he was disabled and like dependent on her mm-hmm. like financially and physically and he's also having mental health issues and so like he probably was just like you know I I'm depressed I don't I can't I, I don't have motivation to go anywhere mm-hmm. I can't be by myself like there's probably a lot of factors in him deciding to right let her go you know Gallivanting around. Gallivanting. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) So, and I do think he loved her too. Right. Despite all of her faults, I think that he really did love her. So while working at the factory, Kelly began seeing two men that also worked there at the same time, by the way. One was a man named Eric Erickson and the other was a man named Chris Reagan. So Chris was about 20 years older than Kelly, and he was a team leader on the military assembly team, and Eric actually worked underneath him. Mm. So rumors flew pretty quickly that Kelly was seeing both of these men and that she was married. Jason was aware of both of the men, and both Eric and Chris knew about each other. Mm -hmm. So like, she's got three men on the hook here, all that know about each other and are all like, meh. So... I don't know what Kelly was throwing at them, but like, okay. (laughs) So eventually, four months after she was hired, Oldenburgs fired her due to poor attendance. At this point, she was still seeing both Eric and Chris, and they did continue to see each other, like when she was no longer working there. So let me tell you about Chris. So Christopher Carl Reagan Sr., was born April 26, 1962 in San Antonio, Texas. Chris was a master sergeant in the United States Air Force for 20 years. He was extremely well-respected and hardworking. He was married at some point, and he had two sons that he loved very dearly. He was a cyclist and an avid outdoorsman. He loved to fish and boat. He was a very good-looking man. Mm, Very, very handsome, super charismatic. 
After he retired from the Air Force, he settled for a time in Detroit, Michigan. And while he was living there, he reconnected with an old girlfriend named Terry O'Donnell. And at that time, Terry was living in Iron River, Michigan, which is also on the Upper Peninsula, just outside of Caspian, where Kelly and Jason lived. So that's how he Mm -hmm. ended up up there in northern Michigan. Okay. So Iron River, where they lived, is a super teeny tiny town. It has a population of 3,000 people and one stoplight. And I found this very fascinating, so I wanted to mention it. Their police department had four employees. Four. Isn't that cute? It's very cute. I know. Also, what are you guys going to (laughs) do? Well, they probably didn't have a whole lot of major issues going on. (laughs) No, it was so tiny. I mean, they only have to man one stop sign and or stop light to see if they ran it or not. So, <laughs> Right. Anyway, so cute to me. Mm-hmm. So Terry and Chris began getting more serious. So Chris moved to Iron River to be closer to Terry so that they didn't have to be long distance anymore. He got a job working for the Oldenburg group and was quickly promoted to team leader because of his military experience. So he was very hardworking. Everyone seemed to like him. Just good, outgoing, nice guy. After a time, Terry and Chris broke up, but they actually remained really close friends, like best friends. They still spoke almost every day, and Chris actually rented an apartment from Terry's parents because Mm -hmm. they owned the building, and so he lived in an apartment in a building that they owned. Chris began dating other women and eventually started a new relationship with his co-worker, Kelly Cochran. Okay. So Chris wasn't looking for anything serious, and Kelly said she wasn't either because she's married and also dating other people, and she told him that she was in an open marriage. So she basically said, yes, we're legally together, but we're not actually together, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure is how Jason felt, her husband. But, okay. Right. But, I mean, she's not wrong with the open marriage. She was open about saying she was going to be with other people. (laughs) I mean, that's true. But I guess I feel like if you're in an open marriage, the other person is in agreement (laughs) with that plan. And Jason wasn't. Like, he was like, no, I don't want you to do this. It makes me unhappy. But if it's my only choice is to let you go out and have affairs or get divorced, then. Right. Like, he wasn't consenting to the openness. Right. No, I I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. So Kelly and Chris started casually dating. So Chris was 53 and Kelly Mm -hmm. was 31. So he's a little bit older. So Chris did continue the friendship with Terry, his ex-girlfriend, like I mentioned, and he told Terry about Kelly, but he acted like their relationship was not really a big deal. Like it's not really going to go anywhere. It's just fun for now kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, and he and Kelly were both also seeing other people. So he also was seeing people outside of Kelly. So Kelly, she got fired, like I mentioned, but they continued to see each other. So then, like a couple months after they, um, she got fired, Chris decided that the Upper Peninsula of Michigan was not for him. He didn't like the cold. He didn't really know anybody there. Like he had moved there to be with Terry. Mm Mm-hmm. But since their relationship hadn't worked out, there really was nothing keeping him there. So he actually connected with his oldest son, Chris Jr., 
And Chris Jr. was living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time. So Chris decided that he was going to find work down here in North Carolina and that he and his son were going to rent a place together and like reconnect. His son is an adult Mm -hmm. at this point. So they had lots of fun things planned. Like they were going to hike and fish and kayak. And, you know, I was just in Asheville recently, actually, and it is such a beautiful place. Like, especially if you love the outdoors, it's a very, very lovely place to visit. Don't move here. There's too many people. <laughs> I think it's pretty too. I've only been once and I and, and just, just did the Biltmore experience, mm-hmm. but want to go back and like explore other things in that area. Yeah, it has a lot of really fun mm-hmm. shops and restaurants and breweries and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. In October of 2014, Chris went to the HR manager at Oldenburg and told her that he had found a job in Asheville, North Carolina, and that he would be moving. They just so he put in his notice, basically, and they decided that his last day would be on October 23rd. Okay. So he began packing up his apartment and getting ready to move. On the morning of October 14th, 2014, which is my mom's birthday, by the way, Hmm. Chris spoke to Terry on the phone. And he told her all about his plans to move to Asheville, how excited he was, how, you know, like what he and his son were planning on doing about his new job. Terry was very happy for him. And then Chris went to work that day and he asked for the following day off because he had an appointment for a drug test for the new job that he had found Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. So like mandatory drug test, he had to make an appointment and go in and take it and pass it, which wouldn't have been a problem. Mm -hmm. And so he needed the day off work. So that would have been on the 15th of October. So he said, I need the 15th off. I'll be back on the 16th and I'll work until my last day, which was supposed to be the 23rd. But Chris never came back to work on the 16th. So like he missed the 15th and then the 16th was supposed to show back up, but he never did. So his coworkers and boss, they were upset because they were like, dude, He just didn't show up. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like him. He was very reliable. He'd never done anything like that before. But at the same time, he was planning to leave North Carolina for a new job. And so everyone just kind of assumed that he had just decided to go ahead and go. And so they kind of like wrote him off like, well, I guess he's not going to work, you know, his two weeks or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't like they were like, oh, this wasn't like him. Let's be concerned. They're like, well, he could have just decided up and leave. So not too, too concerned about it. Right. Exactly. So neighbors and acquaintances actually thought the same thing because Mm -hmm. they were just like, well, he told it last time we saw him, he told us he was moving and we haven't seen him in a while. So I guess he left and just, and he wasn't really close to a lot of people up there. So it wasn't like, you know, if I were to timing, man, and it it really (laughs) is. Yes. It's very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So the only person who really had alarm bells going off was Chris's ex-girlfriend turned best friend, Terry. Mm -hmm. So Terry, like I said, they talked almost every single day and she had been trying to get a hold of Chris for days and she wasn't able to. So she got very worried. She went by his apartment. He didn't answer the door. She went by his work. And then she discovered that Chris hadn't been there since October 14th, which was also the last day that she had spoken with him. Mm -hmm. She reached out to his son and he hadn't heard anything from him either. And he didn't hadn't shown up in North Carolina. And then somebody called Terry because they knew now she was looking for him and said that they saw Chris's car parked in a park and ride a few miles outside of like the town. Hmm. 
So this was very alarming to her because Chris loved his car and it looked like it had been there for several days, Hmm. if not weeks. Like it had, you know, you could just tell it hadn't been moved. So on October 27th, Terry reported Chris missing to the police. All four of them. (laughs) Tiny, tiny police. (laughs) Things are so fascinating, honestly. Okay. She called every one of them. Yep. (laughs) Police immediately took Terry seriously because she was that concerned. Like she Mm -hmm. was crying. She was shaking. She was like, I'm extremely worried about my friend. So Terry actually had keys to Chris's apartment because remember her parents owned the building. Right. So she was able to go in. And so her and a police officer did. And it was very clear that Jason was in the process of moving. Like his stuff was all still there. Mm -hmm. He had suitcases out. He had boxes partially packed up. Like he had pulled things out of his cabinets and like put them on the counter, like in the process. And then he had to-do lists all around the house that said things like clean out freezer and cancel electric, you know, Mm -hmm. to remind him of all the stuff he needed to do before he left, which is a me thing, 100%. -hmm. can relate. Um, But it didn't look like anything was missing. So like he, there's no way he moved. All of his stuff was still there. Like his computer was there, his chargers, his reading glasses, his medicine, like all of his stuff was still Mm -hmm. there, all his furniture, everything. So they actually also found a copy of like the job offer two that he was supposed to sign to like accept the new job in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So there were no signs of forced entry in the apartment and it looked like he had just left with every intention of like coming right back and, you know, right. Continuing to pack himself up. Like he ran an errand and then never came back. Just like that. Yes. Mm. So then they went to Chris's car that was at the park and ride. And it was, again, it was like had leaves on it, pine needles. So it definitely hadn't been driven in a while. And they were able to get the car open. Like, I think they just jimmied it or something. And Terry, oh my gosh, bless her heart. She said she was so terrified because she was afraid he was going to be in the trunk of the car, but he wasn't. It oh was my empty. gosh. They did find Chris's leg brace in the car, which was very odd because he had recently had a knee surgery and was required to wear the brace at all Mm -hmm. times. And so it was weird for him to have gotten out of the car without it on. Right. Okay. They also found some like handwritten directions to a home that was in Caspian, Michigan, which again was really close by. So initially police believed that maybe Chris had gone like parked the park and ride and gone on a hike Mm -hmm. or that he was hunting or fishing, and that maybe he had gotten lost in the woods. So there were miles and miles of woods surrounding this park and ride and like a couple bodies of water and stuff like that. So all of those needed to be searched. Now, I will say Terry did not think that he had done this just because he would have taken the – he would have worn the leg brace. Like Mm -hmm. he's not going to go on a hike and not wear the leg brace that he's required to wear when he's walking. So Right, right, right. But it was a theory. So the Iron River police chief actually called in the Michigan State Police for help because there's only four of them and they have a missing person in a lot of woods. Mm -hmm. So they searched the woods with dogs on foot. They used infrared technology like with helicopters to see if they could get like body heat coming. No sign of anything around where his car was found in those Mm -hmm. woods. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime that they're searching – They're also thinking, well, let's consider foul play because 
you know, yes, maybe he's in the woods, but why is he in the woods and what are our other options here? Right. So Chris's ATM card had last been used around 4.15 p.m. at a gas station in Iron River on October 14th. So the last day that anybody heard from him or saw him, he got gas. They were able to get the surveillance footage from the gas station, and it showed that there was Chris. He was alone. He pulled in. He pumped gas. He was wearing like a T-shirt and jeans, perfectly normal, got back in his car, drove away, literally never seen again. So he they he didn't show up for his drug test the next day. That's the next thing. They also oh, it's literally my next sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you read my mind. <laughs> um, so they also confirmed that he never showed up for that appointment on the fifteenth for the drug test. So they know, okay, this is it. The fourteenth, mm-hmm. he goes missing. And so the first thing that they do is they actually look into Terry, the ex girlfriend, because mm-hmm. they'd recently had a breakup. She had access to his apartment. She knew where his car was. Mm -hmm. She was the one who reported him missing, but weeks later. Mm -hmm. But she was actually quickly ruled out because she was fully cooperative. She passed a polygraph. Like she pretty much had an alibi for like the 14th and the days after. So, you know, they cleared her pretty quick. So next they go to his work. And it was there that they learned about Chris's relationship with Kelly Cochran. Mm -hmm. and that Kelly was married. So naturally, they immediately thought it may be a jealous husband situation. Well, I don't think he could do anything. He's pretty frail. Well, uh, frail is not how I would describe him, no. No? Okay. Well, I (laughs) just, like, he was so sickly for so long, so. Well, so it is said, and I don't want to like diminish. I think he did have like a diagnosis of like a back issue, but I think he probably could have done more than I don't know that he was actually disabled. Okay. Okay. If, does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I've I saw him like on video and okay. Yeah, I don't. I'm just like and, going by like all the stuff that you said happened, the cancer, right. the this, you like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. well, yes. He he had a tough time for sure. Right. And not to diminish that at all, but I don't, frail is not how I would describe him. But anyway, that's beside the point. So they go out to question Kelly and Jason, which to their surprise was at the exact location where Chris had written down directions to that they found (gasps) in his car. Remember he had directions to an address in Caspian, Michigan. It was Kelly's house. Okay. So Jason was, he was immediately like, not uncooperative, but like, okay, so they come to the door and mm-hmm. they were like, hey, we just need to talk to you. And your wife is Kelly home. And he was like, no, she's not home. And then like as he said that, she walked down like she came out of a bathroom or something. And so they were like, why'd you lie? And Kelly was like, well, he didn't – he thought I was in trouble. He <laughs> didn't – you know, he didn't okay. want me to get in trouble or whatever. They're like, right. well, why would you be in trouble, Kelly? You don't even know why we're here. Anyway. Because you're a troublemaker. So, right. Well, true. <laughs> it was just like immediately a red flag. Like police right. were – they were on edge, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Kelly was very friendly. She was willing to answer all their questions. So they were both brought in separately for questioning. Kelly admitted to her affair with Chris and that she had been in a relationship with multiple men from the factory. She told police that she had an open marriage and she said that her and Chris were very in love. 
She said that they had dinner together almost every evening, mostly at his apartment, and that they did a lot of fun things like kayaking and hiking. She said that Chris had even asked her to go with him to North Carolina, but that she wasn't going to leave her husband and like the Upper Peninsula is home to me. So they actually decided that they would just split up once he moved. She said that she last saw Chris on the evening of October 14th. She had gone over to his apartment for dinner and had made lasagna for the two of them. She said everything was normal and that they had a good time. They were intimate, you know, kind of like a goodbye type thing. Mm -hmm. He's, He's moving. Kelly said that she had tried to call and text Chris after that night, but that he never responded to her or called her back. And this was actually very heartbroken to her because he left without saying goodbye. I thought your little rump in the hay was a goodbye. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess she expected him to respond to her later, you know, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she was like, he he left. He didn't even say goodbye to me. It was, you know, Mm -hmm. I love him so much. Poor Kelly. Poor Kelly Cochran. The police asked her if she knew why his car would be left at the park and ride. Her first response was, oh, he loved that car. Loved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, past tense mm -hmm, it's never mm -hmm. good when people use past tense right she said that she didn't even know where the park and ride was she's like i don't even know what you're talking about i didn't know there was a park and ride i have no idea why his car would be there Mm -hmm. so jason when they questioned him jason kelly's husband he admitted to knowing about kelly's affairs he said that he knew she was sleeping with chris but that he had never met him never seen him, didn't know anything about him, where he lived, nothing. He said that he wasn't happy about Kelly sleeping with other people, That he, but he understood because it was his fault because he wasn't able to like live mm-hmm. up to all of the things that she wanted in her marriage and he just wanted her to be happy and didn't want to lose her and, you know. Jason also told police that he suffered from mental health issues for years and that he had a history of being held like in an inpatient facility for his like depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety. Interestingly, he told police, so he volunteered that he had actually checked himself into a mental health facility on October 16th, which is two days after Chris Chris went missing for suicidal thoughts and delusions. Hmm. Okay. He said that he understood why police were questioning him. He was like, look, I get it. My wife was sleeping with a man and you don't know where he is, but he said, I, I didn't, I don't have anything to do with this. Like I have no clue where he Mm -hmm. is. No, no, nothing about him. I would never hurt anybody. Like, you know, all of that. Both Jason and Kelly were asked to do a polygraph, but they both declined. They were like, well, I don't think so. We've given you everything we know. Right. You know, (laughs) I, I'm sitting here side-eyeing and judging and whatever. (laughs) But at the same time, every time we like hear something about a polygraph, we're like, they're worthless anyway. So what do we care if they say not to do it? It is true. We we talk about this all the time. Like we have a love-hate relationship with like polygraphs because they can't be used in court. They're notoriously not accurate. But I think it is telling when you say if no, you agree or don't agree to do yeah. one because it does mm-hmm. make you look like you're hiding something. But then at the same time, it's like, I wouldn't take a polygraph. Right. But I'd say I would, I was wrong. just going to say that I'd be like, don't do it. <laughs> exactly. 
mean. But yet we judge people for not doing it, but we would do the exact anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Police also questioned Eric Erickson. So this is the other coworker that Kelly had been seeing. So they were thinking, well, maybe this is a jealous lover situation. Like he's sleeping with her and also this guy sleeping with her. So maybe he went after him. But Eric, I saw an interview with him. He's a very nice man. He was fully cooperative. He actually like pulled his phone out and read all of the texts between him and Kelly with the police officer in his interrogation. He's like, here, look, you can see everything we talk about. Look at what she's telling me. And which, so that's what I'm saying. Like he didn't hide anything. He agreed to take a polygraph. He passed. He also had an alibi for the day that Chris went missing. So he was cleared, you know, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. He said that Kelly had also told him that she was in an open marriage and that he was aware she was seeing Chris as well. He said that Kelly told him that Jason was abusive and controlling and that he had threatened at some point not long before this time to shoot her and himself. So this is the first that we're hearing about Jason being a violent person. Right. Yeah. So Eric, and also it's not corroborated. This is just what Kelly is telling people. Right. I'm not sure if you've caught on to this, but Kelly's a liar. <laughs> well, yes. I've caught on a little bit. <laughs> so Eric also told police that he and Kelly used to meet up for their little rendezvous at a park and ride. And it just so happened to be the park and ride where Chris's car was found. But she doesn't know where it is. Never heard of it. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> so, dip. <laughs> oh my gosh. I used to call people that all the time. Anyway, let's bring that back. Okay, just did. So, police are now looking hard into Kelly and Jason. Police found receipts in Chris's apartment where he had actually ordered takeout on October 14th, which contradicts Kelly's story that she made lasagna for them. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So it's very weird for him to leave his apartment, go get gas, and then go back to his apartment to meet with Kelly. Yeah. Also, he had directions to their house in his car. Right. So Chris's cell phone records also pinged that night near Kelly and Jason's home. And when they searched the GPS in Chris's car, like when they pulled it up, they looked at the last address that had been put into the GPS and it was Kelly's house. So he had a GPS yet. He also had written directions to this house. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting too, (laughs) but he was like that though. He was like a really meticulous, like he's ex-military, he's, you know, writes the lists, you know. Okay, yeah, like, if my GPS goes out, I need a backup. That's right. He likes his options, and I don't hate it. Okay. But it is funny that you pointed that out, because I was like, Mm -hmm. that's redundant, but okay. Yeah. Um, So police had no concrete evidence linking Kelly and Jason to to Chris's disappearance. This is all just very circumstantial. Right. Mm -hmm. So they can't Mm -hmm. put him in the house. They can put him around the house, but only one ping. So, you know, there's just no evidence. And so his case kind of stalls at this point. Like it was just, they didn't know. They were looking Mm -hmm. at Kelly and Jason. They were definitely people of interest just because of the circumstance, but it just wasn't enough. Right. Okay. So the chief in Iron River, she was awesome. She is awesome. She 
was not willing to let Chris's case go at all. She actually did an entire documentary on the- Kelly. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. And it was wow. very good. I will um, link it and I'll tell you what it was called in a little bit. So um, I enjoyed her okay. very much. She's a very smart lady, very capable, smart woman. Well, so she then. continued to question people. She was continuing to try to dig up evidence. She had daggers for Kelly and Jason. Mm-hmm. She okay. was able to get phone records between Kelly and Jason, which actually indicated that Jason had been asking Kelly to stop, like stepping out on their marriage, like stop lying, just mm-hmm. love me, you know, which is not what Kelly said mm-hmm. or really what Jason said. They were kind of both like, it is what it is. It's just our life. It's what we right. do. So she spoke with the neighbors, Kelly and Jason's neighbors, and the neighbors told her that, you know, now that she, they, she was coming and like bringing it up about this missing person, that there was a night in October that they had actually woken up to what they thought was a gunshot and that they had heard people yelling and it was coming from the direction of Jason and Kelly's house. And then they later heard two cars leaving. Hmm. Now, these neighbors, this is remote. This is not like a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So kind of far. Okay. It was also around that time that Jason and Kelly began remodeling their home, but they would do it at all hours of the day and night, especially in the middle of the night. So they heard saws and drills and banging going on at like two, three in the morning, like very clearly a saw. They were sure about that. Did they cut him up? (laughs) Sorry. Go on. Hold on. Mm -hmm. But yes. (laughs) Hold on to your pants. Hold on to your pants. Now hold on to mine. They also claimed that Jason had burned a lot of stuff in a burn barrel. Do you know what a burn barrel is? I think so. It's like a big metal trash can barrel that you like put stuff in and light a fire. Yeah. When you don't have a fire pit. Okay. Okay. So they had one behind their home, but it was gone. Now the burn barrel was gone. Most upsetting, this is really upsetting, okay. The neighbors said that on the 15th or 16th of October, Kelly and Jason had invited them over to their house for a backyard barbecue. I know. One of the men said that they had a lot of, like, steaks and burgers that he estimated it to be, like, over $200 worth. And he said that it had a very odd, like, texture to it. Like, it didn't look like a burger. Jason told him that he used to be a butcher in Indiana and that he had specialized in exotic meats, which was not true, by the way. He never was a butcher. He's so a this, liar, too. The, right. Yeah. This man, that I, the neighbor, mm-hmm. he was interviewed for that documentary. He was literally bawling, like, so upset and was like, I seriously – I think we ate the guy. Uh, like, do we not know if it is? Crying. We don't know. Okay. For sure. In March of 2015, a search warrant was executed on Jason and Kelly's home. So they finally got enough to get a search warrant. Police found a multitude of weapons. So apparently Jason collected knives and swords and like daggers. And he had dozens of them all over the house. They had multiple guns. They had baseball bats, like 
tools, they were remodeling their house. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of like power tools and saws. Now, investigators used luminol in the house and they actually found blood spatter on the ceiling of the living room that was described as cast off spatter. So what that means would be somebody striking someone and Mm. then raising their arm up with their weapon and it splatters blood on the ceiling when it comes, goes backwards, Mm -hmm. but it had been painted over. But it still oh. lit up. Okay. Oh, so, that's interesting to know that if you paint over it, it would still light up, not just I, like, oh, you tried to wipe it off. Yeah, I actually mm-hmm. did know that. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can't even paint over it. Sometimes it comes through the paint. Mm-hmm. Like blood is tricky to get rid yeah. of. Don't kill mm-hmm. people. So swabs <laughs> were taken. I mean, you're going to get caught. Like, <laughs> Sorry. I'll try and remember not to kill anyone. <laughs> Public service announcement, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so they took swabs sent it in for DNA. Most of the weapons were seized so that they could test it for blood or DNA, all that stuff. So that takes a while. You know, it's not like Dexter or whatever, where it's like mm-hmm. 45 minutes, we have it. So they're, it's in the process. They're waiting to like see whose blood it is. Is it human blood? You know, all that stuff. But the next morning, like literally bright and early the next morning, the neighbors called the police chief and were like, they're gone. What? They left, they packed up, and they fled right after police left. Like when they were done with their search warrant, they got in the car and left. So now they don't know where they are. They don't have a warrant for their arrest because, like I said, the DNA results aren't in. And when they do come in, which is a couple weeks later, they were inconclusive. So it was determined that they had been damaged by chemicals like bleach, paint, you know, mm. stuff like that. So I don't even think they were able to completely confirm that they were human blood. Sp- mm. blood sp- like okay. it was just, it's blood because it lit up, but we don't know the source. Mm-hmm. So investigators had nothing, nothing to charge Kelly or Jason with anything related to Chris's disappearance or murder, if that was the case. Even though everyone knew, like, they had something to do with it, but they're gone at this point and they they can't chase them because they don't have anything on them. Mm -hmm. So since the house was empty, investigators actually went back over and did another search just to see if there was like, okay, well, that blood didn't work. Maybe there's other traces of blood that we can test and Mm -hmm. DNA will come back on that. So they go back. They do find additional blood like on door frames and walls and stuff like that. And all of that was swabbed and sent in for DNA. So directly beside their house, there was an abandoned mine. It was called the Caspian mine. So Mm -hmm. they're like big holes in the ground where they used to mine. But since they were empty, they were filled up with water. So they were almost like big ponds. So they searched the one that was directly beside their house and they actually pulled out the burn barrel. (gasps) Well, they think that it was their burn barrel, right? Okay. So it had been weighted down with a cement block. Mm -hmm. The cement block, there were additional cement blocks at their house that like were looked the same and their clothesline was missing and it was tied with a clothesline. Mm. So they think it was theirs. And they also found the, but it was empty because it was in water. So they searched like the ash in the place where the burn barrel used to be 
there was like a little pit where they could see a circle where it had been burned. And in that, they actually found part of a reciprocating saw and like parts of pairs of jeans. So like the metal buttons and the zipper, which mm. he, we know he was wearing jeans, right? Right. So the stuff that's not going to burn. Right. Metal. Essentially. Things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's no DNA on them or anything like that because they had been burned. Right. Right. So just very forensic sounding. Wonder where she mm -hmm. learned that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they've got this additional blood that they sent in for testing. They found these other things that they incriminate them. But again, mm -hmm. there's no hard evidence here. They also found, this is kind of just a side note. There was a manuscript, like a handwritten manuscript in their house called Where Monsters Hide that was written by Jason. It was very disturbing and it talked about him being a hunter and finding his prey. It, it was like about there was an unwanted guest and like at the end of the story, his wife saved the day and saved him and then they had a big barbecue to celebrate. So hmm. that was very like disturbing to to them to read. And, it was almost like here's what happened. <laughs> and truestory.com backslash murder. <laughs> backslash where monsters <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> so many things coming back from the past here. Um <laughs> So they were able to find Kelly and Jason eventually were able to track them down. A PI was able to track them down and they were actually living with her mother back in Maryville, Indiana, like where they mm -hmm. were from originally. So they did go to Maryville to question them again, to try to like trip them up and get them to say something they shouldn't pit them against each other, you know, like just trying to catch them. But they, at this point, were both uncooperative and they both requested attorneys like pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Like the mm -hmm. questioning started to get hard and they were like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I want an attorney. So they did collect samples of their DNA because they did have a search warrant for that, but they had to let them go. Mm -hmm. Okay. On February 20th, 2016, so this is 18 months later, mm -hmm. Kelly called 911. So she reported that her husband was dying and that she, he was turning blue and barely breathing and was sweating and that she needed an ambulance. So paramedics came and Jason was actually pronounced dead on the scene of what appeared to be a drug overdose. Oh, man. He was 37. So everyone is immediately like side-eyeing Kelly because when she, like when paramedics got there, she was very disruptive to them, like while they were trying to revive Jason. And it was almost like it, it was like she didn't want them to save him. Mm -hmm. And she mm -hmm. was like trying to distract them and trying to get in the way. And, you know, like mm -hmm. it was weird. And, and mm -hmm. all of the paramedics told the police, like something's up with her. And so everyone kind of considered foul play, like pretty off the bat because she was just acting so weird. Mm hmm so a detective was assigned to Jason's case, and he learned about Kelly and about her and Jason's past and about Chris Reagan's disappearance and that they were kind of like people of interest. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to nail this girl to the wall. Right. So during Jason's autopsy, the medical examiner did find a lethal dose of heroin in Jason's system, 
but he also found petechial hemorrhaging, which is indications of suffocation or strangulation. Mm -hmm. Those so are like Jason, the little dots, right? Like around that's the right. eye area. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so his death was ruled a homicide. So the Indiana detective began working with the Michigan police chief because he was like, look, she murdered her husband and I'm mm -hmm. going to get her for that. But I also want to help you too, because I think that she murdered your guy as well. So they were kind of working together without Kelly knowing and wanted to just nail her for both right. her husband and her lover's murders. So instead of arresting her right away for Jason's murder, they wanted to kind of take their time and see if they could get her to confess to anything to do with Chris. Mm -hmm. Because without a body or any concrete evidence, there was no way they were ever going to be able to connect her to that. Like she had to give them something right. that only she would know. So she was brought in for questioning. She said that she woke up and realized that Jason wasn't breathing because he normally is a snorer and he wasn't snoring. And so she was like, oh my gosh, he's not breathing. And so she called 911. She was questioned about Chris and she stuck to her original story about, you know, she hadn't seen or heard from him since October 14th. They had dinner. She just assumed he left and went to North Carolina. So police, they do a little sting operation of sorts. Mm -hmm. Love those. I love it. Me too. And they had one of Jason's friends call Kelly. Okay. So one of her husband's friends called her. He told Kelly that earlier that year before Jason died, that he had gotten a letter from him. This is not true, by the way. He did mm -hmm. not get a letter. It was just a trap. The letter had a sealed envelope inside it that said Iron River PD and had the address. And then there was a note on top of the sealed envelope from Jason that said if anything ever happened to him, to mail the envelope for mm. him. Don't open it, but mm. mail it. So the friend of Jason's is telling Kelly this, and it's recorded. And Kelly just responded, oh, please don't. So they were like, oh, we scared her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Almost immediately afterwards, Kelly showed up at the police station in Indiana to talk to the detective that was assigned to Jason's case. She told him that Jason had shot Chris in the head and killed him. Hmm. She said, this is bananas. On their wedding night, Jason had made her agree to a pact. This pact said that if she ever cheated on him... She would have to kill the person that she cheated with or Jason would kill her and vice versa. Okay. Kelly said that Jason tried to force her to kill Chris, but that she loved Chris so much she couldn't bring herself to do it. But she was afraid that Jason was going to kill her. So she agreed to help him lure Chris to the house. Hmm. She said that Chris came in the back door of the house and Jason ran up from the basement and shot around her and hit Chris in the back of the head with a 22 rifle. Hmm. She then said that Jason, this is a quote, downsized him. Ew. In other words, he dismembered him and that they put him in black garbage bags and disposed of his remains in the woods off of a trail. And then they also burned some of the evidence. 
she did not say that they served him at a barbecue. By okay, the way. but did they go to this trail that she says they disposed of him to try and find yes. him? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. Okay. So she also said that Jason forced her to clean up the house and that it took her like over 24 hours. Also, you can watch this too, like this confession. She is so stoic. Like the coldest, mm-hmm. like especially like the whole downsized him thing. Mm-hmm. The investigator was like, oh my God, what does that mean? And she's like, you know what it means. Like, she was awful. Okay, so the Indiana detective immediately put Kelly in the car and drove to Michigan so she could show him where Chris's remains were. So she's saying she didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. Jason killed him. Mm-hmm. She's innocent. She's blame the dead guy. For her life. Right. Easy mm-hmm. out. Kelly led them to a wooded area off the side of a road near a trail, and they began to search that area. So it at first they couldn't find anything because mm-hmm. there was like so many leaves. It was so wooded, very big. Every tree looks the same kind of thing. So they like have to bring dogs in and all that stuff. They did eventually find a skull and a jawbone there and like black garbage bags that had clearly been um, like animal mm-hmm. markings mm-hmm. and activities. But the jawbone was and skull were positively identified as being Chris Reagan's. So she was telling the truth about that. Okay. He did have a gunshot wound to the back of his head as well. Hmm. So while they uh, were searching that area, because it took them like several days, I want to say, to be able to find the skull, um, they took Kelly to her and Jason's old house, which okay. was still empty. And they actually walked – She they made her walk them through like the the murder. Like this is where he came in. This is where we were standing. This is where he was shot. This is where he was dismembered. Jeez. She also showed detectives a pair of forceps. They were called forceps, but they were more like barbecue prongs. Okay. Like that you would use to like pick up a hot dog metal. Um, And she said that Jason had made her use those to get the bullet out of Chris's head. Oh, so oh, somehow oh. these were totally missed during like the t- two searches that were done, but they did take them in for evidence and they had traces of blood on it and it did test positive for Chris's DNA. So that was their first, like they totally missed it. And it was like the one thing that actually did have his DNA on it. Right. So Kelly also showed police where they had disposed of the gun that was used to shoot Chris, and it was also recovered. All of this is on video, by the way. All of it. Oh, my gosh. You can watch all of it. It's in the documentary that I watched. She is so cold. I mean, I can't – I literally – it's scary, Mm -hmm. like, how calm she is. She's, like, eating pizza and, like, drinking a soda and walking around the house. Like, it's just weird. I feel like I would be so just sick to my stomach and nauseous, but I'm clearly I'm not a cold and calculated murderer like she is. So like- yeah. I mean, it's I'm telling you that she is, like, a very scary person and how cold she is. But, like, I'm, I'm not describing it enough to, like, give you the full picture. Like, she really is callous. Like, it mm-hmm. was crazy. So somehow after all of this, because she, again, they can't charge her with murder at this point because her thing is that Jason is the one who did it all. She somehow got away. She fled again. So it's totally unclear to me why she wasn't immediately arrested because she should have been arrested for Jason's murder. At least like they know she killed her husband. But anyway, I don't know how this happened. I really don't. Whatever reason. 
she took off. She actually texted the detective, like Jason, the one on Jason's case, the Indiana mm-hmm. one, and said something like, the West Coast is nice this time of year, like kind of trying to make them think that she went West, but she's stupid. I mean, they, she's got her phone. So they just put mm-hmm. an emergency locate on her phone and found her and she was in like Kentucky. Yeah. So she was arrested in April of 2016 and extradited back to Michigan. So Kelly was charged with Chris's murder first. Okay. She was charged with homicide, conspiracy to commit murder, disin- disinterment and mutilation, concealing the death of an individual, accessory after the fact, larceny and lying to a peace officer. Okay. So they threw the book at her. So she went on trial for Chris's murder in February of 2017. It lasted for three weeks. She testified in her own defense at this trial, which was a terrible idea because this woman mm-hmm. has no soul whatsoever. And it is so clear when you hear her talk. She claimed that she was a victim of Jason's as well. And that if she hadn't helped him kill Chris, then she would have been killed herself. And she said she couldn't roll on Jason because he would kill her for doing that mm-hmm. too. So she's basically like, battered spouse syndrome, like I was afraid for my life, he is abusive, blah, blah, blah. The defense provided that, or the 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 defense said that Kelly was aware that she was luring Chris to her death. And I'm sorry, the prosecution said that she was luring him to his death. You knew he was going to die. And you lied to police and you forced your disabled and mentally unstable husband to cover for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know that they even believe that Jason really was the killer. Right. But even if he was, it was like a flipped situation. It would have Mm -hmm. been Kelly forcing him to do it. And he Mm -hmm. was probably afraid for his life. So they theorized that Kelly was unhappy about Chris leaving for a new life in North Carolina. And that that's why she was just like, well, if I can't have you, nobody can kind of thing. Hmm. Kelly, of course, claimed that she was forced into this pact with Jason, that she had no power in her marriage, blah, blah, blah. The whole pact thing is so stupid to me. It doesn't even make sense because if they had this pact that if she cheated, she'd have to kill the people she cheated with, why just Chris then? Because we know she cheated with other people, but only Chris was killed. So like even her own defense makes literally no sense. Yeah, I was going to say, Eric Erickson walked away from this. Yeah, right. Why not Eric? Exactly. Mm So Kelly was found guilty of all charges and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Hold on, I just lost my place. Okay. So Kelly's brother then came forward and told police that he believed that Kelly had more victims. So her brother is like, okay, if she's capable of killing Chris and literally – dismembering him and disposing of his body like this. He's like, I've known Kelly my whole life and I think that she's done it before. He said that Kelly had also confided in him that she had killed upwards of nine people in multiple states, including Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Tennessee, between like 2002 and 2016 when Jason died, was killed, and she was arrested. There's also a recorded phone call with Kelly and her mom while Kelly was in prison. Mm -hmm. And Kelly's mom is basically asking, like, how could you have killed so many people? Like, I can't, I just don't see how you could do it. You're 
you know, are you really that heartless or whatever? And Kelly's responded, you really didn't see this coming. I mean, I've been like this my whole life. So uh. she basically admitted like, seriously, mom, how are you shocked? <laughs> you know me. Wow. Kelly also has 14 butterfly tattoos all over like her body in various places. And she claims that they represent, quote, people in her life who were significant to her that she has lost. So Hmm. it is widely believed that these butterfly tattoos represent victims. Oh, my. So Kelly was also charged with the murder of Jason Cochran, her husband. And in April of 2018, she accepted a plea deal in which she pleaded guilty to Jason's murder. And she admitted to killing him to, like, even the score because he took Chris away from her, who she claims was the love of her life. She was sentenced to an additional 65 years in prison for that. But this is interesting. In her plea deal... It is stated that Kelly cannot be charged with any other murders. So why would she want that in the plea deal? Mm-hmm. If she didn't have other murders that they could eventually connect her to. Right. It just tells me that there's more. It tells everyone. It tells everyone that. So Kelly is 42 years old and she is currently incarcerated at the Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Okay. I had to do how how to pronounce.com. So Mm -hmm. if that's wrong, it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. Kelly was convicted of two murders, technically, which does make her a serial killer. But everyone believes that she is like a sociopath who killed more than we even know. Right. And so now she can't be charged with them when they figure it out. But hopefully they'd still be able to like tie her to them so that there would be some sort of like closure to a case yeah it's like an israel keys kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like where everyone knows that he murdered more people but Mm -hmm. we don't know who or where or any of that stuff and she's not been connected to any other like missing people or murders or anything Hmm. so chris reagan seemed like a really nice guy i just hate it for him and like his loved ones that he crossed paths with like kelly such an awful Mm -hmm. person jason actually kind of seemed like a piece of crap to me i'm not gonna lie because I do think he did have some involvement or at least knowledge of Chris's murder and maybe other people's, but mm-hmm. he was also murdered by Kelly too. And she didn't have the right to take his life either. So right, sucks too. And that is the case of Kelly Cochran, the devil woman of Michigan. Whoa. Whoa, she baby. is a piece of work. Let me mm-hmm. tell you. Holy I cow. You. I told you. Well, yeah. I, I can't tell you. You told me. You're mm-hmm. right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe I've never heard of her. I know. The Devil Woman of Michigan. Oh, the documentary is called Dead North, and you can get it on Amazon, and it's very good, and I really like the police chief. Oh, my gosh. And get this. The Indiana um, detective that was assigned to Jason's mm-hmm. murder – and the Michigan police chief that was assigned to Chris's got married. Oh. They worked together on this case and they ended up like developing a relationship and actually are married now. Well, where do they live? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't think they live in <laughs> Michigan anymore because she's not the police chief. Okay. So huh. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, well, that's fun. I'm going to have to watch story. that one. How is yeah, you say that's like in a- it? three-parter or it's a four-part thing so it's not it's an easy watch um also i just wanted to bring this up because 
female serial killers are weird. Like mm-hmm. they're just very different than male serial killers in a ton of ways. So when I was getting my degree, so I have a degree in psychology also, if you guys didn't know, I heard a criminal psychologist speak one time about mm-hmm. the differences between like male and female serial killers. And like, there's obviously a whole bunch of them, like motive mm-hmm. is one and like um, all that kind of stuff. But something that she pointed out that I've always remembered because I thought it was crazy fascinating is that you know, like men and women, it's like the hunters and the gatherers. Mm-hmm. And that oftentimes when that you have a serial killer situation, that shows up because men serial killers typically hunt their victims, but female serial killers gather them. And Kelly is 100% proof of that. Like it was all people in her orbit and circle that she like lured in and had these relationships with. And then so she gathered all of her victims versus like Israel Keys, who went out and hunted his. Huh. Isn't that interesting? I've always that remembered that. I thought that was so interesting. That is interesting. And actually, so there's a podcast about this case. It's super long. I did not listen to it because it was like 18 episodes. Mm. And I I mean, I just it was repetitive to the documentary and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I did listen to a couple episodes. It's called the pact. And there's a person on there that that on my list. I listened to a few like, but there's a lady on that podcast who I don't Mm -hmm. know what, I don't know what her, she might've been a psychologist as well. Um, She says the same thing. She talks about the difference between female and male, male serial killers. And she brought up that hunter gatherer thing, which is what reminded me of it again. So the host of that podcast, he also participates in the documentaries too. Yeah. Look, I have the pact on my, in my Apple podcast, like somebody must have told me about it and I just like added it and I never looked, but it says, yeah, it started with the 2014 disappearance of upper Michigan man named Chris Reagan. (laughs) Yep. How there you have it. Wow. So yes. And the, um, Kaylee that suggested this lady to us she listened to the podcast and wrote in and was like oh my gosh i listened to this podcast about the serial killer you guys should cover her oh so, thank you. now i'm wondering did i add it because i saw like that note or something like, oh you know because sometimes i do that like i'll just be like oh let me put it in my library so that i remember that somebody suggested it or whatever i don't know right. i don't know how long ago this was but who knows? yes anyways there you have it kelly cochran <laughs> Double woman, long episode. Yeah, well, they always are. I, I mean, know we, that's why we used to do two. But yeah, then the people spoke and said they wanted it all in one. Yep, all <laughs> so. oh, two episodes. Yes, I know. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, told you started out with a bang. Yeah, you are. Um, mm-hmm. Man, shoot, I do want to just go back real quick and and um, <laughs> it just mentioned the whole true story dot com backslash right. I know I got because um, you about that <laughs> you did you like were like okay yep mm-hmm. so uh <laughs> I used to like say that in like text messages like I don't know I mean I- I've been saying it for years but like we'd be talking about something and I'm like oh truestory.com backslash birthday party or whatever you know like whatever I, we were talking about right yes I would tie it in and until well, it, I think it took a little bit because I didn't do it like every single day. And so it would be mm-hmm. like, oh, the next time I do it, Beth would try and click the link every time because it would always be <laughs> it shows up as a hyperlink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
she'd be like, uh, that, that it did, that didn't go anywhere. Like, what were you linking or what? Like, Dude, oh, true story. So story.com story.com backslash Beth is gullible. <laughs> so yes, funny. That happened. It's, it's funny when you said that. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm glad you explained it because that tickled me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah didn't I, was, it. I didn't want to like explain it in the middle of the story. I'm like, oh, I'll say something at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too so, good. Anyway, too- yeah, it was good. Well, that was a good story. I mean, it's terrible stories, but mm-hmm. it's gosh, I, again, I'm just like floored that I haven't clearly have have the podcast that I never listened to in my queue. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I think I'd rather watch the documentary. Yeah. It's 18 episodes, which that just seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just would be curious to like stay like on top of it too, to like, know do they ever connect her to someone else to like other people that, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know, one day down the road? Cause I, I do think know. those butterflies are significant. They even uh-huh. said too, like in her in their house, she had butterflies mm-hmm. everywhere, like a shower curtain with butterflies and like pictures and posters all over the wall. It was like, like they commented when they were doing the search, like there are a lot of freaking butterflies in here. She yeah. really likes them. Oh, interesting. Well, she's weird. She's weirdo anyway. But yeah. Um, also, she's the same last name as um, one of our ladies, the lady that killed her husband. In, oh yeah back in august cochran. From last month yep mm-hmm. cochran yeah. yeah they're related i don't know i don't think yeah. they're from the same area they're from north carolina north carolina was that north one carolina. <laughs> no west virginia just kidding remember oh, right, it was yeah. holly area oh yeah yeah <laughs> west virginia i was getting so confused anyway it doesn't matter uh well thank you so much for diving into that and um getting that story out thank you kaylee not the same kaylee okay you kaylee h Got it. Um, yeah. So thank you, Kaylee, for bringing that to our attention. And wow, you actually got us one that we literally have never heard of, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> which is kind of hard with serial killers because they it is. are just so well-known most of the time. So. Yeah. And it's we're in the biz. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, well, let us know what you think. Um, we don't have anything special planned to like end serial killer September. Not we? that I'm aware okay. of. Okay. All right. Well, I just, I don't know why I brought that up on here, but I just was thinking, is there anything that we're planning on doing? So um, anyway, thanks for letting us um, be in your ear on Monday. Sorry that it's a, not sorry, actually, you guys know what you're in for in September. It's They're long. They're long episodes. They're awful people. You know what you're in for. So yeah. you've got three more weeks of this and maybe spoiler alert, we've got a theme this month. I didn't know if you wanted me to say it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, it doesn't matter if we say it now or next week, but basically all female this month, right? Not basically, actually. <laughs> yeah, we are actually all, all lady female. killers. And, they and that are just happens like kind of organically because um, we have a list that you all send and sometimes we go off the list, but I picked two people off the list and they just happened to be women because I was like, well, I'm just going to make my theme women. Mm-hmm. And then I said that to, to Beth or I don't remember how the conversation went, but she said that the one she was doing was a woman. She's like, so maybe I'll just find another woman and do it. We'll do all women. So all women serial killer September this year. Yep. Surprise. 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's going to be a wild one. It will be a wild one because, and it's very interesting because based on the one that we're about to record for me for next week, she's a gatherer too. Mm-hmm. So when is you my said that, I was like, other serial killer is too. Yeah. So is my second one. I just was not thinking about it right off Wacky the bat. But anyway, it is. That's interesting. Very, mm-hmm. very cool fact that you pointed out. So, mm-hmm. anyways. Thanks for joining us. Stick with us. It's going to be a, it's going to be a doozy of a month. So thanks for joining us and starting it off this week. And just always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.